1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. And Sophie will bring our reading. But I am writing to you, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother and is in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Have you ever gotten a love letter? I know at least one person here has. Scott, I'm still waiting for a reply. You laugh now. John's first letter is quite the love letter. He uses agape, the Greek word for covenant love, 17 times in five chapters. By comparison, Luke and Acts uses the word nine times. It's a famous book that we all know at least one verse from, or at least part of one verse. God is love. In it, John wants to encourage his readers, all his readers, even us in the 21st century, to embrace the idea of the love that Christ has for his church and the love that Christians are called to respond to that love with, to receive and to rest in Christ's love. And as with the rest of scripture, John is not writing in a vacuum. Not only does 1 John fit in very well with the rest of scripture, it fits in especially well with John's gospel. In chapter 1, that Scott preached on a couple of weeks ago, we find that John is straight in, picking up on the themes of his gospel. There's the testimony of the incarnation that John was an eyewitness of in verses 1 and 2. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've even seen him, we've touched him with our own hands. John is talking about the real deal. This is not an idea. This is not an ideology. This is not a philosophy. This is a person that John is talking about. In verses 5 and 6, there's the themes of light and of darkness. The light that was coming into the world, well, now he's come, and his people are called to share and walk in that light. In our opening verse from this morning's reading, 1 John 2.7, we read that 
recipients are not merely little children, but they're the beloved, the agape, the recipients of God's covenant love. This is to whom John is writing. Those who are the beloved, the recipients of God's electing love. And these recipients of God's electing love are also recipients of God's commandments. What looks like a slightly confusing commandment in verses 7, 8, and 9 is actually a reference to the commandment that Jesus gave in John's Gospel in chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's the old commandment that they had from the beginning, the word that they have heard. But even though it's an old commandment, it's new in the sense that this commandment of love that Christ has given is now written on their hearts. The commandment is true in Christ. He loves his beloved. And now it's true in them because they love each other as Christ loves them. The word of Christ is uh, dwelling richly in them. The light is shining. The darkness is fleeing. Because for John, that's simply the way it is. If you look at verse 9, John mentions another kind of word. Not Christ's word, but empty words. He writes, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. This community of light is marked out as a community of love. If you're in the light, John says, well, then that means that you walk in the light. And if you're not walking in the light, well, then that means that you're stumbling around in darkness. But whoever walks in love, that is the agape covenant love of God, as uh, defined by the word of God, not the world, not the vague, fluffy, sentimental love of the world, that person walks in light because they have Christ himself lighting their path. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Comparatively, whoever loves his brother, that agape love of God abides in, remains in, lives in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. What that means is if you love your brother or your sister, you are not going to cause them to stumble. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. Yeah, Paul has Christian liberty to eat certain foods. It's not wrong to eat certain foods, no more than it's wrong for a Christian to enjoy a glass of wine. But if, if, that, if that glass of wine, if that food, or anything else, is going to cause our Christian brother or sister to stumble, then for the sake of loving that person, we're called to keep back from it. Just because we can do something 
or just because we can say something does not mean that we should do something or should say something. There's loving discernment required. Because if we miss this point, we're putting our own rights, our own privileges, even our own Christian liberty as more important than that of our brothers and sisters walk. Because if we walk in love rather than demanding our own rights and thinking, well, that's his problem. If we walk in love, well, then in us there will be be no cause for stumbling. So please think about how we talk to one another. Think about how we interact with one another. Because the world is watching. One of the causes for the explosion in the growth of the early New Testament church was how this community of believers cared for and loved one another. What's the opposite of loving or caring for your brother or sister? What's the opposite of the covenant love relationship with your church family? Well, John says it's hatred. It's raising Cain instead of loving Abel. John says in just the next verse, in verse 11, that whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Whoever isn't walking in the light does little more than prove that he doesn't know the light because he's just not walking in darkness He's walking in the darkness because he is in the darkness. The same darkness that has not comprehended the light. It can't understand it. It can't understand why it's better to be patient, to be kind, to not insist on its own way. Whoever's walking in that darkness doesn't get it. They don't grasp where that path will lead them. As John puts it, he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. They're walking in something that, according to verse 8, is passing away. The darkness is passing away. Not walking in the light of uh, the Lord's word, in the light of his commandment. They are not walking in the ways of the good shepherd. It's only when light floods the path that we can begin to understand why love is better than hate. We understand that that's how Christ loves us. So we are called to love each other in that covenantal way. Will people annoy us and irritate us? Yes. Will we annoy and irritate others? Yes, some of us more than others, Others, I say from experience of me. Will we love each other perfectly? Absolutely not. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Do we have covenant forgiveness? 
Yes, absolutely. If we walk in the light as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Because we understand that it's better to love than to hate. Because we as Christians, we know firsthand how infinitely better it is to be loved ourselves than to be hated. We know the love of God, not the wrath of God. Because Christ is our shepherd and has taken that wrath on himself. That's the meaning of propitiation in in 1 John 2.2. He didn't just take our guilt, he also took God's wrath. Christ took God's wrath for our sin. God is no longer angry at us. That's the amazing statement that John makes in his gospel. Jesus calls us his friends. We're no longer his enemies. We are his friends. We are no longer no people, but we are his people. We are no longer unloved, but we are beloved. And that's what John has written to his beloved, to Christians, in verse 7. That's John's exposition of Jesus' commandment of what it means to love one another as he has loved us. But how does that work out in reality? How does that apply to the weaker believer who has burned all uh, all of their CDs and won't listen to any secular music anymore because they think that Christians only listen to Chris Tomlin, the Gettys, and Sovereign Grace? How does the believer relate to someone more mature in the faith, not necessarily older, but more mature, who can discern that every good gift, including some secular music, including wonderful fiction that fires our imaginations, and beautiful art that inspires us. How does that relate to the Father who gives them? For every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. What about the believers in the middle who haven't quite made up their mind if they should give up on their hobbies of collecting seashells or going to the cinema once a week. Well, that's really the focus of verses 12 to 14. And please note that all of it is based on the written word. No matter what stage you or your brother or sister are at, everything that John writes is based on the written word. Look at his repetition. I am writing to you, little children. I am writing to you, fathers. I am writing to you, young men. He even changes verb tense halfway through verse 13 to refer to everything that he writes to them, gospel and letters. Just think of the difference between saying, I am reading the Bible and I read the Bible. One's in the moment, the other's ongoing. I am writing to you and I write to you. I write to you, children. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. All focused on the written word. In verse 12, he addresses the first section of the beloved. I am writing to you, little children. 
the Greek word here translated little children, technia, is only used seven times in the whole of Scripture, and all of them by John. Six times here in 1 John. The only other time he uses it is in uh, his gospel in chapter 13, where Jesus calls his adult disciples little children. It's not a word that means physical age, but instead spiritual maturity. It's a tender word that highlights the relationship between the master and those early believing disciples. So little children, are you saved because of anything that you have done, you will ever do, or that you are presently doing? No. We read that John is writing to the little children with the presumption that they will read what he's written to tell them the basic truth of the gospel. Little children, I write to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Not for your name's sake, like you're something, but for his sake, because he is everything. How do we know that? Well, it's written down for you. Read it. Believe it. Relax. Rest in Christ. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's good news, isn't it? Fathers, those who are perhaps of a more mature faith, folk like John, who was one of the little children that Jesus spoke of in John 13, but has now matured. Fathers, I am writing to you. Again, presuming that those who are mature know their ongoing need to know and believe what has been written. What's his message? Fathers, you know him. Don't let anyone cast doubt in your mind. Don't let any of these new heresies like Gnosticism or Nestorianism or Arianism, in our own day maybe Mormonism, or whatever else, you know, you know him. You know him who is from the beginning. He hasn't changed. He's God. He's not God one day, then just a prophet the next, then just a wise teacher the day after. You know him. You know him who is from the beginning, who was with God, who was God, and who is God. You know the one who has made everything. You know that in him is life, and this life is the light of man. And that this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And I am writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. How? Well, absolutely everything that John has said about the young children is also true of the young man. The young man and the fathers are saved because their sins are forgiven for his name's sake. At one point, they were little children, but now they've matured and are young men, and they have overcome the evil one. We'll get to that in just a second, but look at the repetition that John uses in the second half of verse 13 and 14. Same folks, children, fathers, young men, the children, like the fathers, know the Father. I write to you, children, 
because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Then at the end of verse 14, we find out how the young men have overcome the evil one. Overcome the desire and the temptation to hate like the world instead of love like Christ. Overcome the desire and inclination to walk in the darkness instead of the light. I write to you, young men, not to establish weak faith. You're not little children anymore. You are strong. Instead, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Why are they strong? How have they overcome the evil one? Because the word of God abides in them. They are strong because the word of God abides in them. They know what is written, and they know it well. This is not a superficial knowledge. It abides, it remains, it dwells, it sheds light on their path. They are not walking in darkness. God's word, as we sang earlier, is a light to their feet and a lamp to their path. They are not stumbling around in darkness, dragging their little brothers and sisters down with them, or kicking the walking sticks from beneath their fathers. They've overcome the evil one, not by avoiding certain foods, or by burning their CDs, or by wearing what would Jesus do bracelets. They look back to what God has already done in Christ Jesus. They know that he is the propitiation for their sins. They know that they are in Christ and therefore God is no longer angry. And they know that because of Christ, they are one of the most underrated hymns ever, I think, is Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You want to get a good grasp of the importance of Scripture. Think about Jesus loves me. Little children who grow up to be strong because they know the importance of Scripture and the Word of God abides in them. And they know that they have overcome the evil one. It's hard to miss the parallel with Christ, who as a young man overcame the devil in the wilderness through uh, quoting scripture. And little children here this morning, whose bodies might be old and whose hearts might be weak, know that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Young men and women whose bodies might be old You are strong if the word of God abides in you. Fathers whose bodies might be young, you have the assurance that God is who he says he is. Who was, who is, and who is to come, the unchangeable and infinite God. The God who will never leave you nor forsake you. Because God's written word 
tells us so. Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells us so. In the closing verses, 15 to 17, we have words that people use effectively to justify themselves escaping from the world. So easy to end up with a Christian subculture. We end up with Christian movies, Christian fiction, Christian music, Christian art. Sometimes they're well done, sometimes they're awful. Sometimes the theology in them is even worse. When we read in verse 15, don't love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's not a commandment to run away and join a Christian commune or a monastery and escape the world. The German theologian uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer asks a great question. Was the devil more afraid when Martin Luther was locked away in the monastery or when he left to enter the world and preach Christ? This is not a command to escape the world. This is a command to agape, to place the love that God has for us and we should have for God, covenant love. Don't place that on the world. If anyone's hope is in the world, if anyone loves the creation more than the creator, then they are folk who are walking in the darkness. Look at the things that John highlights in verse 16. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life. Coveting, lust, and pride. The very stuff that characterizes how those who walk in darkness live. Don't waste covenant love on that. Covenant love is for God. Don't be a spiritual adulterer. Because just like the darkness that is passing away in verse 8, we read in verse 17 that the world, too, is passing away. Along with coveting, along with lust, along with pride. Ultimately, they're worthless. They belong to the darkness. But whoever does the will of God does not belong to the world or to the darkness. They're not passing away into a lost eternity. Instead, whoever does the will of God abides forever because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This week, please think about how we interact with other believers at home, at school, at work, on the internet, wherever, mature and immature. Think about how we interact with the world. Are we misplacing our love for God and for our church family and other things? Is our hope in the things that are passing away Is our hope in the things that belong to the kingdom of darkness? Or are we strengthening ourselves through the ordinary means of grace, through Bible study and prayer, through fellowship? 
because we are not just a random collection of folk meeting in a building on a Sunday. We are more than that. We are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. You are the bride of Christ. And Jesus loves you. This we know. Not because of our circumstance. Absolutely not. Not because of our feeling. And not even just because the guy in the pulpit says so. You are the beloved of God. Because the Bible tells us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us who you are and who we are. Lord, please give us the gift of patience. Give us the gift of love. Give us discernment in when we should speak and when we should keep our mouths shut. Let us walk in love. Don't let us be a stumbling block to others. Lord, let us always look to Christ Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Please help us to walk in light. Help us to walk in the light of your word. And help us to serve Jesus Christ, the light of the world. In his name and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray.